It's a magical day. It's a magical time. And you're listening to the Dare Daniel podcast where you send us your most sinister movie dares and we suffer the consequences for your amusement. I am Corky McDonald, local comedian, and I and other insurance companies are sorry for what we have done. <laughs> With me as always is film critic Daniel Barnes. Hi, everyone. On this show, we do your dirty work by watching the most unwatchable movies you can imagine, and then we review and rate them using our unique system. Run-of-the-mill bad film, we'll rate that a dare. Double dare. That goes to the truly atrocious movies, and we reserve the reverse dare, the beloved (laughs) reverse dare for those despised movies that are actually pretty good. Today on the podcast, we are reviewing writer, director, producer, editor, production designer, set decorator, makeup artist, sound editor, caterer, star, Neil Breen's 2012 disaster piece, Fateful Findings. But before we get started, me and Dan, we're going to talk about the movie-themed cocktail that he made. We call it Cockcasting. Yes, it is Cockcast time, the cocktail that I create inspired by the movie we review. This week we're reviewing Fateful Findings, as Corky said, the Neil Breen film that is about dot, 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 dot. I don't fucking know. But boy, does the lead character yabber on about conspiracies and shit nonstop while uncovering them and never mentioning what they are. So I was thinking about that a little bit, about the sort of smoke and mirrors of, uh, Mm. you know, government conspiracy a little bit. There's also this sort of what I called a smoke ghost throughout the movie (laughs) that just kind of pops up very loudly every now and then for no reason. So I decided to make a sort of smoky coffee style old fashioned. So I started with uh, equal parts Maker's Mark bourbon, which of course we use a lot on the show, and a coffee liqueur. And I'm happy to announce that there is a distillery right here in our fair city of Sacramento called Midtown Spirits that makes an absolutely fantastic cold brew coffee liqueur. They just released it maybe a month or so ago, and it is absolutely a wonderful, wonderful, delightful coffee liqueur. So it's equal parts Maker's Mark whiskey, this Midtown Spirits coffee liqueur. I threw in a teaspoon of a whiskey called Warbringer, Mm. um, which is made by a distillery in Oxnard, California, that is mesquite smoked. And boy, it is mesquite smoked. So just a little dab of that, little touch of Demerara syrup, a couple dashes of chicory pecan bitters, a dash of chocolate bitters. And then, of course, I smoked it with a cocktail gun. And I give you Corky, smoke and murmurs. Oh, wow. Smoke and murmurs. Wow. Boy, does everyone in this movie also just talk in the flattest, strangest way. You'd Like, again, humans who have never heard of language. I opened up with a, a quote from the movie, and I realized while I was doing it, I was like, I'm giving way more passion to this than anybody in the much. gave <laughs> any much. lines. So yeah, Gorky, Smoke and Murmurs, what do you think? Smoke and Murmurs is delicious. It is dark. It is smoky. Um, I taste that mesquite coming right through, and I love the addition mm. of the coffee liqueur. Yeah, it's it's a good one. I was afraid it might be too strong, but you put it over some ice, mm-hmm. uh, you know, do it old-fashioned style over a big rock, and uh, it's actually pretty good. It has like a coffee and cigarettes kind of feel to it, right? Like it's just ashtray, bunch of empty coffee cups. You've been up all night on the laptop. Yes. Yeah. Uncovering the smoke and murmurs of our corrupt society. <laughs> Yet not quite really distilling what that is. I mean, not really well, ever. I don't, I don't know. I like my conspiracy theories vague, Dan. That's what I do. I like <laughs> as vague. vague as possible and resulting in mass suicides. <laughs> um, and as always, I will put the recipe for smoke and murmurs 
in the show notes, so check it out. And now, our feature presentation. Fateful Findings. This was dared to us by superfan and monthly donor Gunner Pearson, who has brought us some of the, the best movies, the best bad movies we've ever watched. Oh, boy. Yeah. Old-fashioned. That was Gunner. 365 Deadly Attraction. Yeah. Oh, boy. Right? Yeah. Wow. Talk about one of the all-timers. <laughs> Gunner's dare goes like this. Hey, guys. I am daring you fateful findings because you guys talk about bad movies in every show or podcast that talks about bad movies must at one point review a film by true American auteur Neil Breen. Fateful Findings is a romantic drama, dot, 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 I guess. Breen is the writer, director, lead actor, editor, set dresser, and about a hundred other things, and he is awful at all of them. Neil Breen is like an alien that learned all his knowledge of humanity by watching The Room, Love on a Leash, and Dangerous Men. As an added dare to this movie dare, I dare you guys to not involuntarily shout the words, what the fuck is happening during the final 10 minutes of this movie? The IMDb synopsis of Fateful Findings, a computer scientist slash novelist. Re- <laughs> I didn't know he was a computer scientist. A computer scientist slash novelist reunites with his childhood friend, hacks into government databases, and faces the dire and fateful consequences of the mystical actions he obtained as a child. What? He obtained actions? As a child? <laughs> what? That doesn't make sense. Words. Words. And you know what? I'll go Gunner a step further. I dare anyone not to watch this movie and not at least think or say out loud what the fuck during any 10-minute stretch. <laughs> like, take a random 10-minute stretch of this movie. There's no way that you don't what the fuck over and over again. My notes were basically, this happens, what the fuck. Someone says this, what the fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yes, fateful Findings is this week's film. It is the third movie from polyhyphenate, quote-unquote, cult filmmaker Neil Breen. Of course, it stars Breen along with Jennifer Autry, Clara Landrat, and Danielle Andrade, all of your favorites. Breen is apparently a licensed architect in California, which is how he finances his movies. I had never heard of this guy before getting Gunner's Dare. Oh, really? I'd never even heard of him, but it's just totally off my radar. But he's been making films since the mid-2000s and is frequently compared to inept legends like Ed Wood and mm-hmm. Tommy Wiseau. Um, Fateful Findings, I could find almost nothing about the making of this movie. It debuted December 8, 2012 at But Numathon, <laughs> the Austin Film Festival created by humanoid feces pal Harry Knowles, uh, it also played the 2013 Seattle International Film Festival because why? Yeah, right. I, t- too much credibility, too much street cred. Se- Seattle International Film Festival, just like Se- fucking Seattle International Film Festival, was going through a rough time. You got some answers. Like to I don't do. give a fuck. I'm not taking care of myself anymore. I'm not grooming. <laughs> <laughs> Seattle International Festival was laying in bed a lot. It was getting up at like ten thirty. Seasonal in the morning. seasonal just, depression. So, uh, Seattle is known for it. <laughs> rough time for it. Yeah, it was a lot of rain that uh, millennium. Um, only two critics reviews on Rotten Tomato. No entry on Metacritic. You don't need to fight anyone today, Quirky. Put those dukes away. Put them away for another time. Tim Brayton, one of the reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. Tim Brayton of Alternate Ending called it, quote, maddening and grotesque and freakishly magnetic. Corky. Uh Uh-huh. Maddening. Sure. Sure. Yeah. 
grotesque? Yes. Freakish, abso-freaking-ish, lootly. No one's fighting anyone over those descriptors of that. No, no, everyone's on full lock. It's just, we're all, it's hands across America on those three. But mm-hmm. did you also find Fateful Findings to be magnetic? I found it to be refrigerator magnetic in that <laughs> you kind of regard it like, huh, okay. I see what you're getting at. Uh, it's not too powerful. Uh, easily displaced. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, it's not going to erase your credit cards or anything like no, that. No, exactly. But it is a refrigerator magnet that has everything now wiped off it because then you're just trying to figure out it's inscrutable. You're like, what does this mean? This was, what did that used to be? This, had to, this meant something. Somebody thought to make this, and I don't know why. Wow. Wow, this movie. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Wow, yeah. this movie in the conception like the okay mm. the, there's there's a there's thought process of like here's the movie I want to tell here's the story I want to film and here's how I'm going to do it and then there's the execution of it and mm. they rival each other for complete utter just slipshoddy amateur level like 7 year olds could produce yeah. a better product yeah it's bizarre i mean it really it does compare to something like The Room or to Dangerous Men or something like that. It's just like when Tommy Wiseau made The Room, it felt like he was trying to kind of ape, if you will, sort of like Sundance dramas, Uh indie dramas, or even sort of like a classic, you know, because there's Rebel Without a Cause references in in there and stuff like that. So kind of actorly sort of movies. Neil Breen seems to be going for David Lynch. And that is just so, so out of his reach. It's just, it's insane. This is an impossible film. You talk about reading a movie. Yeah. Like you read a book, you you interpret the movie. What are the themes? What are the characters? Why did this happen? Why did that? It's an impossible film to read. Impossible. Because usually you can assume some kind of purpose and some kind of intentionality on the part of the filmmaker, but not here. There are times when things seem to be happening out of order. Uh huh. Someone will say something, and you're like, you just said that like 10 minutes earlier, and you're now revealing it for the first time. If David Lynch did that, I'd be like, okay, wow, let me think about this. Why is he doing <laughs> yeah. this? Why is that happening? Here, you're like, what? I don't, there's no way to assign purposefulness to anything that he's doing here. Like, you take the last 10 minutes of this movie that Gunner talks about. A logical reading of the film would say it's a dream, it's a fantasy, it's a conspiracy fueled delusion. But uh, you can't fucking do that no. because the rest of the movie is just as fucking clunky and insane and seemingly alien. It might be an absolutely one hundred percent literal fucking interpretation that needs to happen. Like this is actually happening. I mean, the acting. This is what's bizarre. The acting is bad. Okay, it's a bad movie. We get it. The acting's bad. But they were very clearly directed to act like that (laughs) because everyone is the exact same level of terrible. They're giving the exact same bad performance. Everyone speaks in the same flat tone. Yes. Bizarre cadence. They pause about two or three seconds after each sentence. They pause within the sentence in ways that no one would ever pause. They emphasize the same point in each sentence. I would love for you to try my new wine. I would love to try your new wine. (laughs) Like that's actual dialogue and that's how it's said. 
Yeah, everyone speaks in the exact same way. You compare that to something like Skullduggery, mm. right? Skullduggery is filled with bad performances, so many bad performances, but they're all these different flavors and shades and levels, right? Some people are going way big. Some people are going way small. Some are just right in that middle. Some of them are doing like really affected character bits. Some people are doing absolutely nothing. Here, everyone's doing the exact same thing. They, I have to imagine... They're doing exactly what Neil Breen told sure, them to do. Sure, and you um, you say he's trying to ape David Lynch, which is a perfect call. And you in a Lynch movie, you would see these things happen, and you would say, "Yes, there's intentionality to that. That's a meaning. That's, that's something." Just I, it. With Neil Breen, you can't give him that benefit of the doubt because no. he's repeating dialogue clips to. <laughs> it was on a two shot. Now it's on a far away shot. He will show the same couple walking up alongside a pool twice, being introduced <laughs> to the party. <laughs> And then introduce them to the audience the same way. Yeah. And also, can we just say, the man himself mm. is an odd duck. He's had so much fucking Botox done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He couldn't emote if he tried. Yeah. Towards the end of the film, you can see there's a shot from above. He doesn't shoot himself from above very often. <laughs> but you can see all of this is a mirage. It's pulled forward. Yes. And it's died. <laughs> and it just is – it. He's a very controlled image conscious person, and yes. this is the controlled image movie that he wanted to put out. Which is just, uh, that's as bizarre as anything else. Yeah. With- I mean, he has a face that you hate to <laughs> look at. It is not a face you ever want to look at. Yeah. He, he, it's somewhat similar, but actually taking this even further than the director protagonist of old fashioned. That was a guy in his 40s uh. pretending to be a guy in his 30s. Neil Breen is a guy in his 50s pretending to be a guy in his 30s. Yes. It's it's upsetting. And he's super strong Phil Spector vibes from this guy. He's man. high like, end 50s. He's odd. He's high end odd. 50s. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um the other thing is like th- you also think okay David Lynch or a very controlled crafted image, but then again with no regard for things like oh these laptops need to be on. Like yeah. the the audience will go along with me walking across a parking lot if I just make it seem like it's a crosswalk. <laughs> okay, Quirky, let's get into All right. fateful findings. So another thing about this movie, and you hear it right off, wallpaper music. This movie is just wall to wall, the exact same score. Over and over and over and over again. Repetition really is an essential part of the Neil Breen aesthetic because he also has everyone repeat the same dialogue over and over and over and over again and do the same thing over and over and over again. They will say the same line just in different varied ways. Slightly different variations. I love you. Don't worry about anything. It's you that I love and you shouldn't worry. Don't worry about anything because I love you. That's a scene. <laughs> That's a, yes, that is a scene. So we hear this music. It's kind of conspiracy-ish in this first scene. We see a storage warehouse. We kind of going down the hall of the storage warehouse, and at the end of the air warehouse is a box. All right. So cut, cut. I'm good. We're we're good That's here. That's it. So That's cut setup. to but hold on. A shot of mountains, Dan. This is it. This is the fucking thing. I guarantee you this was shot in that storage (laughs) facility, A, because he used it as a set a little bit later, but B, because he was like, oh, a furniture dolly. That – like he didn't have any kind of dolly 
And it was oh, just yes. that he's like, I got to get this shot. It's going to go down the yeah. storage. And that was it. That was what he did. Boom. There it is. And there's your box. Yes. There's the box. <laughs> so we go back. Boom. We see mountains. We see kids walking in the woods. They're kind of, they're, again, people even walk strange oh. in this movie. Like they're walking in this very bizarre sort of like, again, it's like very intentional. It's like this, like, they're supposed to be just wandering through the woods, but they are like stomping as though they're like going to a specific, I mean, they're obviously were like walk from here to here, Yeah, but didn't direct them to be like, but don't act like you're just walking from here to here. Like walk like humans walk, like just red, like in the woods. Um, they pass by a ram skull mm-hmm. that is on the ground and it turns to watch them <laughs> as they walk past. <laughs> that was my first LOL moment. First of many in this movie. So they walk to the place that they were obviously intentionally walking to. They find a magic stone that looks like a mushroom. And something uh, happens, <laughs> Yes, uh, I guess. This is where we first see what I call the smoke ghost, this is... which is just some kind of apparition that pops up. Oh, is that from there. Lost? Is that the Lost? In Lost, they call it the smoke monster. The smoke monster, okay. Or the monster. I was calling um, it a bear but... fart. I was like, oh, <laughs> it's loud. <laughs> it's a beer. And stinky. And yeah. Um, so here's your first dialogue of the movie and of people not talking like any human being would talk, where the kid says, Look what I found a treasure. And the girl says, It's a magical day. <laughs> <laughs> These are Dylan, the little boy who grows up to be Neil Breen, poor kid, and Leah who grows up to be someone 20 years younger than you. <laughs> right? <laughs> I, thought, like, I don't know, the box made them age differently. See, like, in Neil Breen's head, was he's like, yeah, that works. They'll, they'll yep. believe me as younger. That's fine. For sure. Uh, and this is also where I was like, oh, boy, here we go. Because the kid goes, look, I found a treasure. And he puts his hands down to show the treasure. And that, that lingers on that shot for a minute. Yeah. A yes. minute just as of his hands above there. Yeah, and there's a box inside the magical stone. There's jewels in the stone. Leah takes out this jewels. Um, the kid says, I'm not afraid. Um, and he goes in there and he pulls out like a stone. And then we see Leah, remember she just said, it's a magical day. She writes in her notebook, this little pocket notebook, it's a magical day. Exclamation <laughs> point. <laughs> Pure grown-up <laughs> handwriting. It's a magical day in this notebook. Yeah, yeah, these are like, eight-year-old kids yeah. right um so yeah they have this magical moment it turns back into this mushroom stone uh and then it cuts and she's leaving like her parents are like tossing her in the car we're like we're leaving come on let's go <laughs> like what's happening the very next thing her parents are like fleeing their house with bags yes. like go they got their go bags and they're like, like hurry go, go. <laughs> the the fratellis are on their way yes. it's like and then the girl goes where's dylan Where's Dylan? And then just like immediately off camera, Dylan just walks right in like, you would have, he was right there. Yes. And they touch hands in a weird way. They, um, she drives off. These children have never waved before. You have to imagine that Neil Breen directed them on how to wave because they're waving in a way where you're like, have you never used your arms dance before? These children have never waved. They have never seen anybody wave. It is no. just like, I don't know, like one's got their hands in the air like a 90, 1992 hip hop concert. They're like, hey, ho. Yeah. And the other one's like, she's trying to hail a cab or something. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, my God, if you thought uh, Philip Marlowe experienced a long goodbye, like, <laughs> this is the longest goodbye. It's like these scenes, they just, they go on so long, but there's also like, they're so short at the same time. You have all these short little, like quick, quick little scenes, but like nothing happens for a long time within the, these short little scenes. It's bizarre. The the pacing of this movie is so strange. Um so cut to modern day Dylan, now played by Neil Breen. We get the voiceover that explains that he was Dylan. Leah yeah. left her and he never forgot her. Yeah. It, this is the kind of movie that's supposed to give us information. Like it's a visual medium, right? It's supposed to tell a story in a visual way. So it shows the little boy. Then all of a sudden it shows this really creepy looking old Botox man. <laughs> Then it shows a woman <laughs> washing dishes and taking a phone call. And we're supposed to infer that she is talking to that man. Yes. It doesn't really flat paint it out any other way than that. Yeah. He's talking on the phone to Emily, who is his wife, I guess. Um, he's, it's funny. His end of the conversation is just like, oh, nothing <laughs> special. <laughs> <laughs> Then through just insane screen direction, he walks out into the street. He's walking. He's surrounded through... by people, and then he's suddenly no, not surrounded. No, by no, people. no. He's walking through a corporate park. He is never around another yes. person. He gets to the curb to go into the parking lot. It is just like a corporate park parking lot. But then there's a close up shot of a bunch of people's feet at a curb yeah. somewhere else, and then it cuts back to and him. They all walk into the street, but then it cuts back to him, and he's all by himself. Yes. There's, <laughs> there's not a crosswalk. There's not a light. Like he just showed a, a walk sign. There's no walk sign light around him is fucking bananas, man. A, a Rolls Royce going about five miles per hour comes into that corporate lot, then all of a sudden just careens right into him. Yes. He drops his phone and then bends over to pick it and gets, like as you said, slammed by his car. It's like Toons is the fucking cat is driving this car. But out of the back walks this very buxom woman who we never yeah. see her above her I neck. Mean, we just see her in extremely large breath. 44, 26, 43. Just, I mean, like, <laughs> it's Mrs. Bellum from the Powerpuff Girls. Yes. <laughs> so one of the people who's a witness says, it's the Rolls Royce that hit him. I saw it. I'm a witness. <laughs> People in this film are so declarative about what they yes. are and yes. what they're doing. They're just like, I'm going to expose. I'm just going to speak exposition. Um, so again, we see the smoke ghost. Yep. He opens his hand and we see this black rock in his hand. And it looks like he's dead. There's blood everywhere in bizarre places. Just blood in the streets, blood on the Rolls Royce, blood on everything. On the side of his face. All over down his face. He gets wheeled off by paramedics, and the bystanders just sit there and stare at the blood. The, <laughs> just... the paramedics, they put the gurney right in front of the Rolls Royce. The Rolls Royce is still there. Yes. Nobody's talking to the yeah. woman passenger. They just pet no. the gurney. They put a mask on his face and his phone on his chest. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that touch. So next shot, we're in a hospital, and it turns out to be his wife, Emily, and his best friend, Jim. Uh, there's a doctor there just sitting there. There's like 30 seconds of silence where they're all just sitting there looking at him in this bed with stuff hooked up to him and a big phantom, bizarre phantom of the opera head bandage on his face. Um, and the doctor, after like 30 seconds, shakes his head and says, he's in critical condition. Unconscious. Like, what? We know. Doesn't look good. We're right here. And Jim says... He's my good friend. <laughs> it's like, just says he's my good friend. Like, who the fuck is that for? 
I was calling this guy Dr. Harry Toupee. This guy had the worst <laughs> wig of all time. And if you look, so, so there's like these long lingering shots on all the uh, quote unquote hospital equipment. They're all yeah. dials are turned off. Like you can see all the pressure on every, on these oxygen tubes are all off. <laughs> Um, this is one of our first of many laptops that is also off. There's just like yes. a laptop sitting on top of a box, and that's supposed to look like hospital equipment. Yeah, here's some hospital stuff. Well, we're going to leave it off, though, while you're in fucking critical condition. So after Dr. Toupee gives his diagnosis, yeah. saying that he's unconscious, no shit, then a blonde doctor comes in, looks at him, and says, he's very weak, semi-comatose, very serious. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? But okay, so for, first thing I noticed, she's got the bracelet on because uh, Leah yeah, at the beginning yeah, yeah. said, I'm gonna make a bracelet out of these gems. So I was like, oh shit, this is Leah. Yeah, and this is where I first like, oh fuck, she's 30 years younger than this man. Yeah, and she says to the family and Jim, the good, really good friend, don't stay too long. It's like, bitch, he just said he's don't about to die. Too- Usually, it's like family, you want to <laughs> spend as much time as you can. Well, <laughs> no. Don't Get stay too long. He needs rest. Get out of here. But don't worry, because he wakes up. Uh, we get a little bit of kind of Messiah music. This in this bizarre head bandage that he has. He just walks out of the room in his hospital gown. Then we see like black shoes. The black shoes disappear. Yeah, kind of like the uh, and, woman's feet at the Rolls Royce. Yeah. This was okay. So we got to describe this mask he's wearing. It's like uh, yeah. if yeah. alien goes on your face, the sucker goes down your throat. That's what it looks like over his face. Yeah. Or, or it kind of looks like a jock strap for his face. Mm-hmm. But the the funniest part is like again the whole thing about like he just wants us to go along with. Yeah, it, this vaguely looks like a hospital setting. He's got tubes taped to his wrists, <laughs> and he pulls off the tape, and it, you see that there's no like needle going into a vein. It's no. just a. Just tape. <laughs> like he's either Neil Breen thinks just a tube is taped to your wrist, both wrists, by the way, and that's how they keep you alive, or he's just like, well, we're just going to give him that. We're going to be like, all right, no, we got you. You can't afford a needle. So Dylan leaves the hospital, and suddenly he's in the shower at home, <laughs> blood just dripping down everywhere. Emily comes in and says, "What are you doing home? You're supposed to be in a hospital." But. Never mind that. She gets in the shower with him, and together they have some fateful fondlings. <laughs> I guarantee. I feel like that line from her, what are you doing? You were supposed to be in the hospital, was added later because people watch and they're like, wait, why does she just walk in and start fucking the guy with the cast on? Why is that happening? Bleeding all over the place. It's like, yeah, blood is just dripping all over everywhere. This face bandage. He's wearing it blood. in the shower. And this is another example of one of those times where it's like, you start to see this theme of women don't really want to be that close to Neil Breen. And he was really trying to push the envelope with how naked they would get in this movie. So she's right. like, I'll wear the camisole. <laughs> you can be, cause he's completely naked and I'll let you get yeah. it wet to show my butt, but that's about it. You know, we'll kind of do a, yes. a slow rock back and forth in the shower, but we're not actually just, yeah, a little, we're not going to really kiss. No. Um, but in the next scene, she says on the phone, well, he seems to be fine. No, he's not fine. But now we see him for the first time in his office, working on his new book. <laughs> mm, these office parts were my favorite. Oh, my God. So on his desk, he has four or five laptops. Yep. 
four or five. All off. They are always they're always open mm-hmm. and they are never turned on. Right. Never. Not at any moment are they turned on. He has and he also like knocks them to the ground several times, <laughs> including in this scene. He just has like this uh oh. this kind of attack, and he just slowly like knocks over two laptops like uh, <laughs> it's the uh, best it's okay it's like rawhead rex going after a dry goods storage yes. locker it <laughs> his office like neil breen thinks office in business means that everything's kind of disheveled so you got laptops in different various places he's got eight copies of the same book with no title shown <laughs> But and then he's got a bunch of papers masked up everywhere. So he's like, "This yeah. is a serious writer's desk." He's obviously doing some real serious work yeah. here because he has five fucking computers and eight I mean, books. If he only had one computer, no one would take him seriously as a, as a writer. And as we find out, all these are are just objects for him to throw. Yeah, and knock over on the ground. Yeah, well, that's why they're never on. They're obviously like broken ass laptops. They, that he they has. haven't worked in years. <laughs> and he says. I have a damn master's degree, computer science, and I turn out to be a writer of novels. Like, that's the worst thing. Like, the of novels was like the little, uh, he's a successful novelist. He's obviously wasting his life. Uh, one thing I forgot to mention was when we first meet his wife, in, she's in bed and he's in the shower, her camisole has blood stains on from when they did the take previous. Right. <laughs> she, like, she, yes. They like didn't clean that off. It's still on there. <laughs> so now Jim, that's the friend who was in uh, the ICU with him. We now meet his wife, Amy. Yeah. I had no idea why Jim and Amy were in this movie well, so much. They have no connection to any fucking thing else that's happening. I was going to say movie. that. I was going to say you could cut out this whole Jim, Amy, and... Uh, Allie. Allie storyline. Except you could cut out any storyline. Oh, no, absolutely. So, absolutely. But yeah, this doesn't impact anything in any meaningful it's nothing. way. But yeah. although but basically, we do they're to, always fighting. Yeah, and Jim does a great. I mean, Foster Brooks, watch out. This guy does. A, there's oh one part where he takes a drink and he goes, Bleh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, in this first scene, Jim's drinking and he offers a drink to his wife, Amy. She says no. Um, and we get the idea that they're not having sex. Amy is, Amy is always in a, a, a tiff about something. And she actually says yes. in one of her first lines, she says, I'm very pissy. <laughs> no woman has ever self-described herself as pissy. I was going to say that. She says, I'm very pissy. My back is killing me. <laughs> My office at the bank is having major problems. My <laughs> office at the bank. What? Just say the bank. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Like, your bank has an office? What the fuck? <laughs> and the office is having major problems. It's yes, not like she's having problems at work. The office at the bank <laughs> is having major problems. Yeah. Yeah. Both um both <laughs> both Amy and um Emily are always complaining about their jobs. Yes. Too. That's another thing and, that comes up a lot. And Jim brings up that she has a stepdaughter. And he says it to like, why your stepdaughter? Which it's like, okay, so does it make it Jim's daughter? Isn't that your daughter? Isn't that, <laughs> just we say, like you would refer to her by her name. But no, it, it's very clumsily written and very clumsily introduced. And also, Allie's peeking and watching them <laughs> from the hallway. Yes. Allie's got some problems. Allie has a few problems, as we will see. We also, this is the first time. So we've seen him knock over some laptops. So now we get to see him actually use a laptop. Mm. I mean, it's amazing because, it, again, so. Um, 
I have a couple of nephews, uh, four-year-old and uh, 18-month-old, and uh, for Christmas, we got him this toy that is like, it's like a dashboard of a car, so it's got a little wheel on it. Yeah. And it's got all these little buttons that make noise and flashlights and has a little, you know, brake lever and all that kind of stuff, right? And, you know, the four-year-old had loved it. He was oh, doing this, doing this, doing this, doing this, right? Now, he doesn't know how to drive a car. Sure, right, right yeah. But he's seen his parents drive a car. He's probably seen cartoons where people drive cars. So he gets the basic idea of what how to do the car, right? So he's getting it. He's just running the me and he's sitting button, hitting button, pushing levers, pushing levers. Neil Breen uses a laptop <laughs> in the exact same way. Like a two-year-old who has seen somebody use a laptop before, has never used one himself, yeah. doesn't really even know what they're for necessarily. <laughs> but he's like, I think you do this. You just kind of paw at the computer. <laughs> pap, 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 What I love is that he will he will hit like five or six random keys on the computer and then he'll just go pap, 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 right? Because he's probably seen somebody do it like that, right? <laughs> but if you do that, what is the thing you're pap, 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 papping? It's probably either the space bar uh-huh. or the enter key or the tab key. He is just hitting right in the center of the keyboard. He's just like J- bang, bang, J- bang, J- like, J- 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 why, why are you hitting J over and over again? Like he's just like bap, 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 bap. I'm doing work. I wonder if you lock ten thousand Neil Breens into a room with ten thousand <laughs> off laptops for ten thousand years, would you get a David Lynch script? <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> yeah, he's just tapping at this computer, and he goes like tap, tap, and then he. Pat pats his pocket. Tap, tap, tap. Oh, yeah. Pat pats his pocket. Where are my pills? Where are my pills? <laughs> and then Emily brings him the pills, and he looks at him, and he goes, I don't need these. I'm not going to take them no more. It's, That's what he says. I'm not going to take them no more. Successful writer. It's immediate. <laughs> Where are my pills? Gets them. I'm not going to take these. No more. And then walks into the bathroom and throws them in the toilet. It doesn't and flush. Doesn't flush. Throws the fucking pill bottle on the ground and walks out. On the Emily ground. Then walks I, in. I'm glad you said that because you can hear the reverberation of it bouncing yeah. around. It's not in a trash can. It doesn't go thunk. No, just, <laughs> just throws, throws it on the, the ground, ground of the bathroom. Walks out. Walks out. Seat up. Seat up. Emily walks <laughs> into the bathroom, sits down, and fishes them out of the fucking toilet. It was like you and McGregor in train spotting. <laughs> oh She's God. not going to let those go to waste. So you remember the Black Stone? Uh, he was clutching the black stone. Yeah. He found the black stone in the woods. He was clutching it when he got hit. So this black stone gives him some kind of vision. So he keeps going to this black room where he's naked. <sighs> yeah. Um, and there's just a strange kind of alien sort of a noise. This is this was the most ups- this was upsetting because it was like that's obviously that storage unit, and he's hung up like black garbage right. bags, and he he looks sweaty, and it's just he's naked, and it's just gross. It's like uh, yeah. something from H.R. Geiger, Come Alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, it, it's Lynchy type stuff that, you know, if but it was a filmmaker of Lynch's caliber, $5 it to might spend. have had some kind of impact. But yeah, this is just like real bad stuff. So yeah, these visions keep happening where he hears an alien noise and then he's in this black room doing I don't know what, just sitting there naked, really. So just non sequitur conversations abound in this movie where someone will sit down and you're like, wait, didn't you hash that out in like the previous scene or a scene five minutes ago? The wife sits down next to him on the couch and goes, you're still not well. 
Did you take your meds? Like, did you not fucking I, just fish them out of the toilet? I that wrote, you just, that just happened. You just watched him throw them away. Yeah. Um, he goes to see his doctor. Yes. It goes really poorly. Thankfully. And then he. Thankfully, his therapist yeah. has a conference room available. It's a, it's an office park <laughs> conference, conference room. room. While his psychotherapist meets him in an empty room. Oh, with chairs six out. inches apart. Yeah. So he goes home, he's working, and he has another one of his attacks. This is the most amazing fucking scene. So he has this attack where he's like, he's holding coffee yeah. over his laptop, and his hand starts shaking like, uh, uh, coffee, coffee, uh, uh, and he's kind of losing consciousness, losing consciousness. He falls, he sets the coffee on the, on the laptop, fa- head falls down. He then like slightly regains consciousness, sees the cup of coffee, and then goes, <laughs> goes to, like, for it. Of a drink of co- oh, and then the coffee spilled on. <laughs> like that's the thing. Like when you lose consciousness and wake up, are like oh, coffee. Yeah, just just a little bit of coffee. That'd be great right now. He he either saw like the David Hasselhoff drunk video or right. like a very uh, uh, as seen on TV ads. Like there's got to be a better way. He like he's inspired by those <laughs> acting choices. Yes. Um, they decide to invite Jim and Amy, sure. their good friends, over for dinner. So they have a little dinner party with Jim and Amy and Allie, the daughter, is there as well. Uh, <laughs> Emily is drinking wine and she says to Amy, I want you to try this new one. To which Amy says, I would love to try your wine. <laughs> I, <laughs> what? You can't, fucking, what? It's just great writing. That up. Dylan then says, dinner will be ready soon. They're all sitting at the dinner table. Right. And he's like, dinner will be, like, who's making this fucking dinner? There's, they've been it, sitting right? there a while. Right. Because they're yeah, just they're chopping dead. up, he having says, fun. Nobody's making dinner. <laughs> no. It says, dinner will be ready soon. To which Ali says, I'm hungry. <laughs> I can't wait for dinner. <laughs> like, what in the wide world of fucks is this conversation? How, what, what the fuck is that he's, what he's saying? And you, there's a cut to uh, what some of the hors d'oeuvres that have been set out, because everybody's plate is empty. There's just a plate with four slices of wheat bread. <laughs> That's That was the uh, catering of, uh, of Neil Breen. Oh, yeah. He credits himself as cater. I mean, could you imagine eating anything that this person put out? <laughs> it's like, I would not want to do that. Jim's getting fucking hammered off uh, light beer. Yes. Yeah. He's getting drunk. So Dylan, in the next scene, says, I can't remember if he's saying this to anyone or just saying it to himself, but he says, I'm going to continue hacking into these government systems. What? <laughs> yeah. The first time we've ever heard about it. He's like, I'm going to continue. Continue? Continue. Like, we're a third of the way through the movie at this point, and he just suddenly is like, I'm going to continue hacking into these government systems to find corruption. And if you think any of that, like, it's going to come back. And it comes back quite a bit. It actually becomes the main push of the movie for the rest of the movie. Yeah. But if you think you get any further clarification on where he's hacking and what he finds out, you do not. He's just hacking into government computer systems and and corporate computer systems, and he's going to find corruption. And he's going to find more corruption than anyone ever has. And no one knows that he's doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Like, Like, only... People you tell, which is like everyone. Yeah, he, he tells meets. like five people, and you can't tell anyone. So then we get Emily, who calls the doctor that he met in the conference room, and she says he stopped taking his meds. This is where I started to feel like Guy Pearce and Memento. I'm like, what is this movie out of order? Mm-hmm. Like, 
Because we've just established this like three fucking times that he's not taking his meds. I took that as she was asking for more. She doesn't want it for him. She's just trying to get more for her. But you got to assume that. But the doctor already knew this too, right? Like, I, whatever. Um, Dylan then reams out Emily. I mean, you're right. She is taking pills because he reams her out for her pill taking. That's how he says it. Pill taking. Right. She replies, I need them. I realize that. (laughs) But I'd be lost without them. It's my choice. (laughs) None of those four sentences connect to each other. They're all offering like different takes. She tells him the reason she needs the pills so much, the bank is failing. (laughs) (laughs) Like, do you own the bank? Is that why you just, it's just a job. You can get a job. There's plenty of banks. Yeah. Time to move on. Yeah, everyone one of the one of the ways that people are obviously directed to speak is that he really wanted every sentence to land. Yeah, emphasis. He's like when you finish the sentence, really let him know that you've finished that sentence, right? Because right. everyone takes about two seconds between sentences. Like I need them. I realize that. Yeah. I'd be lost without it's just it goes on and on and on like that. Um to which Dylan then just randomly pause at his keyboard again like a raccoon and says, I've got to get this work done. <laughs> then it, it cuts, and I, I don't know if it was supposed to be like later in the day or a different day, but suddenly she's on the phone and puts down the phone and says, my job sucks. <laughs> to which he replies, I've got to get this work done. <laughs> so then she confronts him in the office and she says, She walks into the office while he's working and says, I'm done talking. And he says, really? Smashes several of the laptops. Again, just smashing. These laptops are just dropping like flies. And they rip off each other's clothes. They rip off each other's shirts. They rip off parts of each other's clothes. Not enough to to qualify as nudity. And this is the uh, first of the couple where they show the feet again. And then they should show a shirt drop. And then another yeah. shirt drop. And it's funny because it's not like you take your shirt off and you throw it behind you, you throw it to the side. It's like it drops right next to each other one at a time. Right? Like, <laughs> like they put- <laughs> He loves close-ups, man. He gets tight on faces and feet. Yeah. Yeah. To the point that like the framing like yeah. will cut off the top of people's heads. There's a sequence with him and Allie them. later on where you, he, you get like three quarters of his face. Yeah. Um, so he now goes to see Dr. A. Andra, psychotherapist. Remember the, uh, doctor that he saw met him in a conference room. Yes. Uh, the psychotherapist meets him in an empty room it, with two chairs. She meets him in, in like one eighth of a room in the corner yeah. with two folding chairs pushed yep. right up next to each other. Yeah. No red flags there for your psychotherapist, <laughs> right? <laughs> So Dr. Aandra says to him, you were given the power. It's in the wind. And he says, you know about it? Like, just like that. Yes. You know about it? That's the cadence. Yeah. That's the cadence of this movie is just like pauses for no reason. Uh, She says, it was meant for you. It's yours forever now. Okay. Okay. Don't worry about it. 
Don't decipher it. <laughs> don't think about it. Honestly, it's pointless. Utterly pointless. So he goes back home. Emily now wants some sex, but Dylan says he has too much to do. Um, oh, and you remember all those laptops that he smashed and spilled coffee on and knocked off? They're all fine. Yeah, now. they're, all they're still not on. Yeah. They're not on, but they're just sitting there not smashed. All five of them. <laughs> um, Emily accuses him of having an affair. And he's like, okay, well, I'm not having an affair, but I have a big admission for you. I have a big admission. I'm not writing my new novel. I'm hacking into government and corporate systems to find... You've already Which told her has, this like three times. Yes, exactly. He has made this very, very clear. In our it's heart. so clear, but he's like, here's my big, here's my big admission. I'm going to lay it on the table. Something I've already told you. Ugh. So now, let's have a barbecue. Sure, yeah. Let's have a barbecue. He's into this barbecue. This is like one of the only times we see him smile. Right. I don't even know if that was like an accidental ad lib or something like that, but they're calling up. Let's call up Amy and uh, Jim. Invite them on over to our barbecue by the pool. But who shows up? The blonde doctor. They, uh, she, they, they bump into each other and she drops a notebook. And what does the notebook say? It's a magical day. Oh my God, it's Leah. How do we know it's the doctor? Uh, because Emily's uh, voice says, it's the neurology doctor, which you see her introduce her. And then there's a shot of the neurology doctor and her fiance walking up again and the sound is played again. It's the neurology doctor. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Dylan realizes it's Leah. He can't believe it. He says, I can't believe it's you. I think of you every day. Which how obsessed he is with her, the fact that he has not, this is the first time he's met her since she was like nine. Yeah, they were not. You know what like, I mean? He's constantly going on about how much he thought about her and how beautiful she was and how amazing. It's like, dude, they this is like your first time you've even seen her as an adult. Yeah. They weren't even like old enough to have start having like emotional feelings no. like that. And he uh, aggressively speaks into her ear. Like you oh, yeah. almost see the actress wince when he gets yeah. near her. He goes right for it, and he holds hands. It's yeah. obvious there's a connection. Um, he he does tell his wife, he's like, I haven't seen her since she was nine years old. <laughs> Yikes. Weird. So now uh, Dylan's working. This, he's working. He's working on things. And who comes over to use the pool? Allie. Allie, the daughter, that is supposed to be kind of high school aged, I think. She gets into the pool. I mean, this is like right out of Fast Times at Ridgemont High. It almost felt like, okay, this is like some kind of weird dream sequence kind of thing. Yeah. Because she gets in the pool. She turns around, so you can't see her uh, front, takes off her top, and then turns around and goes, Dylan. This is a Neil Bearing masturbatory fantasy. That's all oh, this is. absolutely. He wrote a script about every woman wanted to fuck him, even yeah. high school girls. Yeah. Uh, he instead is like, ah, laptop, lap, bap, 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 paw at the laptop. So then she comes in and runs a bubble bath. Yes. He walks into the bathroom and sees it. And instead of doing what a normal person would do, which is like, oh shit, hide my eyes, turn around, leave the room. He runs at her, falls to her knees and tries to cover her with a towel. Yes. He runs at her to cover up and he keeps going. Please stop. You need to stop. You can't do this. You need to stop. Are you going to stop? Please stop. It's just over and over and over and over again. And her reaction is nothing. I felt so bad for that girl. So back to Jim and Amy now. 
and they have another kind of charged interaction. Um, he's always working on his car. He's in his car, working on his car in the garage. Amy delivers lines like she's trying to be overheard at a loud club. Yes, absolutely. What? I'm having wine. <laughs> she gets really pissed off. She's pissy. She said sure. it. She's pissy. So she runs into the house. She pulls out a gun, meaning to shoot the car that she hates so much, but and shoots Jim instead. The the cutting here is fucking. Jim insane. collapses on some conveniently placed plastic. That's like she either had this right. murder plot plot planned, or they just didn't. They weren't worried about hiding that. They didn't want to get blood on this floor. Yeah, right. Like whoever let them shoot in this garage was like, whatever you do, you can't get that blood on my. Floor, yeah, right. Dude. Okay, I'm laying out some plastic. You fall in. The and this is plastic. so Amy tries to cover it up like it's a suicide. She goes and puts the yeah. gun near his hand, which is really. Because somehow it got he got shot on the left-hand side. She puts the gun on his right hand. And then about, you know, a minute after all this stuff, blood just starts streaming out, like pumping right. out of this bullet yes. hole. Forensics. <laughs> <laughs> like there's no blood. There's only slight spattering of blood. And then blood just starts pumping out. It's like that's the way the human body works, right? CSI? Anything, guys? No? Nope. So this all checks out. It's a suicide. Yeah. What's crazy is that as this is happening, Dylan is now at the door. Uh-huh. Allie is at the garage door with her mom, and she goes, you killed him. Yeah. This goes on for like 10 seconds of just catatonia, and then all of a sudden she freaks out. Yeah. Right? And then the wife is like, he killed himself. <laughs> he killed himself. There's a two shot that was from the garage door with their faces looking at each other about six inches. And in between them looking at it is Jim's body laying next to the Ferrari. <laughs> and then she freaks out. Like she had to have that standoff yeah. moment. So Dylan comes in and he cradles the corpse. <sighs> but he does. He says, I cannot. But he says it just like this while cradling his best friend's corpse. I cannot believe you committed suicide. I just can't believe you committed suicide. I can't pull you out of this one, Jim. I cannot what? pull you out of this one, Jim. <laughs> Amy is now on the phone to Emily, and she says, I drove him to suicide. <laughs> Dylan goes back to his office. And starts talking to himself, and he says, how could Jim have killed himself? It's just not like him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it's not a character. Then he takes a call uh, and starts railing on about how he's not going to write that second book. He did no not sign books. a contract. And this is where the many times of throwing things starts. Like he's like, yes. he sees that newspaper and that's the first one to go. Cause he's like, okay, it's lightweight and won't do a yeah. lot of damage, but won't then, break anything. then he gets into it and starts throwing a book around. <laughs> throwing yeah, he's like, what deadline? That's it. No more damn books. No more books. <laughs> he says, he literally says this. I'm so drained. I'm so tired. I'm exhausted. <laughs> and let me tell you, I was feeling it. I was right there with him at this point. I was just really fucking aggravated by this movie. But he passes out. 
at his laptop again and goes to the black room again. Yeah. Um, but then naked Leah shows up with naked Dylan inside the black room. Right. Meaning, who cares? He's then confronted by his wife who says, I can't go on like this. Scene. Moving on. Uh, Dylan is now talking to his psychotherapist. And he's, this is where he says, I lost my first real love when I was nine. She was beautiful. <laughs> Emily is now on the phone and she says, he isn't writing another novel. He's writing about government secrets. What the fuck? <laughs> we know all this. We get it. So Dylan and Leah now meet in the park. It seems like it's a chance encounter at the park. It does, but like they the way that they like regard each other is that they walk past each other, then stop, then like kind of walk past each other again yep. and sort of circle around each then other. Then touch a bit. each like, other like creatures from their home planet would. Yeah, it's not like any human would have an interaction like that, it would just be like, Oh hey, yeah, Dylan. Oh hey, Leah. Wow, fancy meeting you here, right? No, it's just it's this bizarre thing. We find out Leah dumped Tim, her fiance, and we didn't yeah. talk about Tim, but if you ever watch this movie, Tim puts oh on an all star performance by the poolside. Tim kills it. Tim absolutely kills it. Um but yeah, she says well, he's like, Oh, that's too bad. And she's like, Well, there was always someone else anyway. Yeah. And they say that they lo- he says he loves her. She says she loves him. She says the line, it was a true childhood love story. Oh, my God. You're everything I ever wanted. So they go back to the woods, which I guess they still live near those woods that she moved away. Yeah, from. I guess that's right, huh? They're still by the Jeremiah Johnson's uh, backdrop. Right. So they... They cut back, uh, the movie cuts back and forth. So they're in the woods. They go and they find the rock. They find the box. They find the smoke ghost makes an appearance. They're canoodling in the florist. They're saying it's a magical day. It's a magical place. It's a magical time. I, c- I had to turn away every time he got intimate with a woman in this movie. I really, it was really I gross. felt bad. Yeah. Um, so while they're canoodling in the forest in this weird non-sex sex scenes where they like, they take off half of their shirt. Yes. And then, and then the cut to the feet and the shirts just drop, drop to, to the, the sides again, just right next to each other. It's like part of their mating um, ritual. But while this is happening, we kept, keep cutting back to Emily. She's sitting at home on the sofa. She's drinking wine. She's brooding. And then she takes one pill <laughs> and just goes, I'm sorry, Dylan. Her, and she's dead. Her wine glass full of water spills over on the bed. Yes. And she dies <laughs> from the one pill. She's dead. Dylan then returns home and makes a hilariously half-hearted attempt to revive her. Comes up, he's just like, hey, hey, oh no, like, this is everything you ever wanted. Um, and he says the line, figure this shit out, it was you. I know it was you. What? And then he just calls Leah on the phone and is like, Emily's dead. And the black stone disappears, and Leah moves in. Boom, she's just there. Yeah, she's now his, legally in their state, that's how you get married. Absolutely. Your wife uh, commits suicide while you're off having an affair. Then we have a flashback um, to a few minutes ago, where the naked, naked people are in the tarp again. He's sitting in his office, and she is like smiling very sweetly at him while watching him eat salad. Not eat a salad. Again, eating salad 
Well, it's just green. It's just right? yeah, it's roughage. He's eating just a few things of spinach. But he's doing this not just like someone who's never actually eaten salad before, but like someone who's never seen salad, mm-hmm. someone who's never heard of salad, doesn't really get the whole concept of salad. It's just like, he's like, oh, God, I don't know what salad. And then he sets his plate on like these paper folders. Like, it careens and immediately off, tips over and, and falls. She just kind of looks at him like, oh, whimsy. Oh, you. Uh, and then he tells her the big secret that no one can know. Yeah. That he's hacking into government and corporate databases to uncover corruption. And, and that's all we ever know about it. That's it. He's uncovering corruption. And he says the line, no one knows but you now. And then she's like, but people will know. And then he immediately goes, you're right. Others do know. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that. So <laughs> Leah leaves the house and this man in sunglasses and a back black hoodie abducts her in the most awkward manner possible. It's so their blocking is just so He pours some hydrogen peroxide onto a, uh, it's a hydrogen peroxide bottle. He pours it onto a rag and then goes up and to her front, not from behind to put like the rag on her face, but he finally gets to where he puts the rag on her face and then it doesn't like knock her out. There's like no effect. It's like what I, I think he was trying to say it's chlorophyll. He's going to knock her out. It does nothing to her. And so what the the point was a rag thing. Yeah, no, she's just, he drags her off. Um, it's so awkward, but that is nothing compared to how awkwardly Dylan discovers yeah. that she's gone. He's calling He's her. on the phone, and he walks in, and he's like, Leah, where are you? I'm at your house. I'm on your front drive right now. Where your purse <laughs> is on the ground. Leah. Can you hear me? Leah. Can you like why you're talking to an answering machine message? What the fuck? Your purse is on the ground outside the front door. And then he finds the note that the kidnapper left, which was like the kidnapper's plans, and he knows where yeah. to go find Leah. Yeah. So he finds her inside a black van, which is outside the storage warehouse. And he finds the kidnapper just taking a nap right outside just the black van. Just napping outside. And this guy says that he doesn't remember her doing it, he doesn't know her. Dylan smashes his head with a beer bottle that just comes out of nowhere anyway, uh, and then materializes yes. through the door. Yeah. Says he has powers, remember? I guess. Anyway, why not? He guns in there, he takes off her blindfold, takes off her gag, he frees her, and then he goes, I'm going to do something you can't see. I have to put your blindfold back on. I also need to put your gag back on. Don't make any noise. Put yourself in the, yeah, exactly. In the situation where you're in a darkened room, you have a blindfold yeah. and a gag on, you're all tied up, and Neil Breen is that close to you saying, I got to cover your face again. You're like, fucking kill me now. Just yeah, something just bad is going to happen. Do it now. Um, but he materializes both of them through the door again, and they escape. She's fine with it. She's cool. She's good with it. Everything's good. Um. This is one of the most bizarre cuts in the movie. So you're like, okay, he saved her. We see that he has powers. Next scene, he is back at home yelling at Allie. Uh-huh. What the fuck? Telling her to stop coming on to him. It's like, you have to stop this. Allie, you have to stop this. At which point, Allie's like, uh, you know my mom murdered <laughs> murdered your best friend. To which you think like, oh, shit. Wow. Really? Because, I mean, it looked pretty fucking suspicious yeah, right away. Right. I, had my, I had my doubts. He tells her... You have 
got to go to the police <laughs> now. Like, you want to put it all on the child? I totally mangled the crime scene, but you're going to have to explain that. Yes, right. And so the way that she walks off, basically like a zombie, out of the, to go tell the out police. Of the film. Yeah, and there goes Allie. That's a, a wrap on Allie. So now we're into the last 10 minutes of the movie. So we'll kind of roll through this um, pretty quickly. So Leia and Dylan are sleeping. And stuff starts moving in the house. There's a presence in the house. The black shoes that we've seen before are walking through the house. The smoke ghost appears in the house. But nothing happens. Dylan wakes up, goes out to the desert. But don't worry, he calls Leah to promise her five different times in five slightly different ways that everything is going to be okay. He's fine and everything's going to be fine. It's in a way that if you heard that, if you got that message, you would be like, nothing is fine. That's not nothing fine. Nothing is going to be okay. That's Something very bad is happening. That's really not fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, he wakes up, he goes out to the desert, and he finds the box. Remember the box mm-hmm. from before? And he asks the box, should I be afraid? Should we all be afraid? And the box disappears. So he goes to the psychotherapist, Dr. A. Andra. She disappears. Whoa. Back home. Back in bed. More of the furniture shaking. Same thing as before. Black shoes walking through the house. All this kind of stuff. Suddenly blood appears on the the shoes. The black shoes. This presence. And it disappears. Boom. The shoes disappear. So now we're heading into the big scene. This the big press conference. Amazing. In front of the most egregiously green screened thing that has ever fucking happened. A vaguely government building. Let me tell you. This press conference makes Rudy Giuliani's Four Seasons presser look fucking <laughs> slick. Look look like a Hollywood job. Like just highly organized and thought out. He gets up in front and he says... I want to be honest with all of you. I've been hacking into government and corporate systems all over the country. Polite applause. A rock, yeah, just applause. Like applause at a press conference. Like is the press applauding him for hacking into corporate? Like who? What members? That's not necessarily a good thing. What members of the press were like taking this call from this guy? Were like, yeah, let's everybody amass at this government building. Well, this wacko is going to just talk to us for a while. Yeah, and let me tell you, he did not dress up no. for this press conference. He actually dressed down a little bit. <laughs> he just looks so slobby. Um, he says, I've discovered more information than any hacker has ever. <laughs> what I found will shock you. Applause. This is almost <laughs> like what? <laughs> Applause. It's almost literally a Donald Trump speech. Uh, these are the best things ever done. I've done better than anybody else could yes. on unprovable things. Yes, absolutely. And the the vague, uh, mm-hmm. you know, accusations of corruption and uh, that are uh, and that he's are got never the truth. Explained. He's got the 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 plural truths. He's the only one who has the truths. So we had this whole group of people. We see this shot of like six people standing together. We're like, what the fuck is this? And they're all like the guilty parties. So some CEO gets up, says, yeah, it's true. He's got it all on me. Gun to head, boom, dead. This is a press conference. (laughs) Polite applause. Fucking goes Bud Dwyer on the press conference. Yeah. So you think that's probably the end of the press conference. (laughs) Someone just got up and shot themselves in the fucking head. Nope. Let's keep going. Senator comes up. She or he resigns. Yeah. Later, hangs himself. Yeah. Not at the press not conference. At the, no, he's stuck around. Him. 
Yeah, no, he stuck around for the end, polite. Sure, uh, but went home and hung himself. Decent thing to but do. Stuck to Which it. Made d- his campaign promise. Dylan, <laughs> Dylan smiles. Yes. <laughs> There's still applause happening in between yes. people murdering yeah. themselves. Then someone gets up and says, "I resign today as president of the <laughs> that bank." That was my favorite. Goodbye. Shoots himself <laughs> on the stage. Shoots himself. A congresswoman gets up. She admits guilt. She later kills herself with carbon monoxide. My personal favorite. Yes. You alluded to it in your opening. A guy gets up and he says this exact line. I and other insurance companies <laughs> are about to be indicted for crimes we committed. And we see him taking pills and dying. His death is amazing when he just leans forward to the front of the car. Like slowly. He's like, I don't want to hit my head. I don't want to hit my head. I don't want to hit my head. Oh, okay. dead. Oh, just... Uh, then a stockbroker, this is the last one, stockbroker gets up, he admits guilt, yeah. later slashes his wrist. Does the Frankie Pentangeli. <laughs> <laughs> so while Dylan is continuing to speak, a hitman then emerges from the grassy knoll. So th- We see a target on his face. Before we see the hitman, though, it, there's a flash cut to these bushes, right? And they're superimposed in front of this government building. And I was like, oh my God, it's a moment of honesty where it's like, this is all actually just him talking to some bushes. And in his head- That's what I thought too. I was like, oh good. Okay. So this is just some like kind of fucking fever dream bullshit. But then all of a sudden an assassin comes out of the bushes. I was like, oh no, it's JFK instead. So yeah, he emerges from these bushes and he has a target on uh, Dylan's face, but the assassin is shot and killed. Dylan notices this and does not miss a beat. Nope. Does not miss a beat. He's like, kind of looks over. Oh, is he dead now? Yeah. Okay. Continuing my speech. But, I mean, he was the only one who knew about all this hacking and nobody knew about it. Who sent the hitman? What, what the, the fuck? Man? Yeah. So just uh, as a tally, that uh, this press conference, two suicides. Uh-huh. An attempted assassination. Uh-huh. With- uh, a murder. Uh-huh. For post- conference suicides, and essentially the collapse of Western civilization. <laughs> and a pretty solid press conf. <laughs> super super conf, bro. Of, like, what the fuck? A very polite audience cheering it on the whole time. And everyone's time. just like, oh, good. Yeah. Oh, good. And so the banking system's failed, the government is yep. collapsed, like, what the fuck? You, everything we know is a lie. Uh, people are dying to to acknowledge this, and we're just going to stop applauding altogether once somebody starts talking. No way that this <laughs> is just applause breaks cutting off. No one's even slightly horrified Mm-mm. by this at all. No. Uh, so Dylan, wrapping it up, he says, you now have all the truths, the real truth. Act now. On your own. It's our only hope. For the future. Act now on your own. That's not great advice. No. <laughs> Especially when it's so big like that and the body count is just piling up. But hey, successful press conference. Boom. Let's go out and walk in the woods with Leah. There's this kind of shot where they're walking as adults. Then they're walking as kids again. Then they're walking as adults again. Then there's a close-up where he snap. Neck. Look behind him. Huh. And then moves on. Smoke ghost approves. The end. Bingo. The end. That's your movie. Credits are mostly just Neil Breen. Yes. He appears throughout, often uh, as shell companies. There's a credit at the end that reads, quote, any of the above listed companies in the credits with an N or B in their name are fictitious. Holy shit. This work was actually done personally by Neil Breen. Oh. That includes catering. Well, since I fucking bought this movie, I'm going to have to go back and check that out because I did not notice that. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, all these. I was. Uh, I'm looking at the credits. I'm like, catering n things. You know, it's all. It's like sound n this. Uh-huh. You know, everything is like sound. And it's just Neil Breen. Oh my you know? god! I don't know why he had to create some kind of fake corporation to do it. Why does it just say Neil fucking Breen cater this fucking shit? <laughs> Corky, that's your movie. Yes. Any final thoughts before we wrap it up and give our ratings? I, I don't know what further we could say. This movie is a cult classic. It, yeah. you know, it's As Gunnar pointed out, it's been widely covered and well uh, and good on it for or good on podcasts for covering it because yeah. it's fucking nutballs. We could do another hour about everything really that nutball. we went, oh, we went over. Yeah. You ha- yeah. Honestly, I, I almost want it like I so much of my notes were like because the story is incomprehensible. Yeah, you can't even possibly read what is happening. It's more the dialogue that we're repeating. It's the dialogue. Yeah. I was like, we should just do a fucking straight up script reading of this movie. Uh-huh. You know, you play, uh, you know, Dylan. I'll play Amy. You know, whatever like that, and we'll just do it like that. But I mean, that's basically what we did anyway. Yeah, <laughs> it is a fucking bananas movie. All right, so just to remind everyone of our ratings: run of the mill bad. It's a dare. Next level bad. It's a double dare. And a movie we actually like is reverse dare. Quirky. Rating for Faithful Findings. It faithfully found me a double dare on this one. Uh, I say this all the time, but it, this movie does fail on every level. Like I, I mentioned in the opening, in conception and in execution, you really have to sit there and go, really? Really? Yeah. An actual human being thought that this was acceptable to do? And okay, all right. Guy's yeah. got confidence. It, it's so alien. Every all of the behavior is so alien. The dialogue is so alien. It just really does feel like it. This movie just landed here. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like it's just, um, it is it is quite quite bizarre. I mean, I got to give it credit for that because it's just it's it's way the fuck out there. But uh, I mean, and it is quite funny. So I mean, it, it's 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 a real bad bad yeah. movie. It's a double dare. Uh, I would say watch. Because you you will if you're especially if you're a connoisseur of bad movies watch it. I I agree. Yeah, I mean this isn't for casual viewing at all. Mm-hmm. This is for like I'm really into bad movies because, as you said, it, it fails on every level, but it also fails on levels that no one could have ever conceived of before. Right? Like this is it's finding new levels. There's like levels in other dimensions and shit like that. It's just like who knew that that level was possible? Right. But it's possible, and Neil Breen did it, goddammit, and he did it all himself. All of it, and no one knows. <laughs> so yes, double dare for me as well. But again, if you are a real connoisseur, this um, this is a fine, fine vintage. All right, that is all we have for you on this episode of Dare Daniel, but we'll be back in two weeks to review another one of your movie dares. Gunner, this was fantastic. Thank you so much for bringing the heat, and thank you so much for pitching in the Patreon, also or the PayPal. Also, thank you, Colin Williams, for letting us know that the uh, PayPal was not working for you, and we got that thing working again. So hit us up, and I appreciate you letting us know that you're trying to give us some. Yeah, thank you, and thank you to everyone who's listening and donating here as we take the podcast into. 2022 we've been doing this a while now i know i think we're entering we're about to enter our fifth year that's nuts it is it's pretty wild um until our next episode in two weeks send your most sadistic or altruistic movie dares to us at daredaniel.com and be sure to follow dare daniel pod on facebook twitter and instagram they're collectively known as the schmied it saves time mm-hmm. we're all in a rush and we want to save time schmied social media shortened it 
I can't even tell you how much time I've saved. Years. Um, that that might be my number one fateful finding. My own personally <laughs> is uh, shortening social media. It's a magical it was, I found day, it, Daniel. And it was faithful. It was a magical day when I found it. A magical place and a magical time. You know what I'm going to write in my notebook? It's a magical day. <laughs> and carry that Mike notebook around with you. <laughs> carry it around forever. And it looks it's just as pristine as the day you wrote yeah, that. It's just hanging out in my pocket for 30 years. Like and rate us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. You can read more of my movie reviews on the Dare Daniel website at daredaniel.com. Corky. Yeah. Found any magical boxes in the woods lately? Ooh, well, yeah. Um, you can find me at the Sacramento Comedy Spot where I'll be throwing books around, laptops of all sorts, papers, all sure. you're just accoutrement. Um, Those laptops are going to be turned on and we're- Oh, no. Uh, they're going to be off and not working. Oh, not even- Because yeah. uh, you're a computer scientist. Exactly. Yeah. But now I'm a writer of novels. Uh, of novels? <laughs> you may also see me in my one-man show where I just lay on the floor and I pour coffee out of my face. <laughs> <laughs> As if I'm trying to drink it from a coma. Uh, anyway, Friday, Saturday nights, come down, see me at Sacramento Comedy Spot, MRI and ACL. Beautiful. For Dare Daniel, I'm Daniel Barnes. And I'm Corky McDonald saying, now you have the truths. Go out and do it yourself. <laughs> Good advice. We love Bye. you. <laughs>